I'd went and worked on some different things. Totally awesome. Oh, that sounds good. Wish I were half as productive at work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of working at some other places that are really big, um, and maybe this isn't like your fault personally, so I shouldn't bother you about it. I, I watched the Game Awards yesterday, um, like three hours of the Video Game Awards. Holy cow. But what's up with the Xbox Series X? Uh, you heard about it before I did. Uh, there's, I, there's, I, I, hate, I hate to give this up, but there's been no internal buzz uh, Microsoft. I, 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 I work there. Uh, for those of you, for those of you who, who look surprised in the chat, um, there's, there's been almost no internal buzz, at least where I'm at about the, I, I had no idea that we were coming out with another console. Um, it, it looks like, uh, well, someone called it a fridge. It does kind of look like a small fridge, like one of those fridges they made that holds one can of soda. So you could pull it out and drink it while you're playing. And, and apparently it's called the Xbox Series X. So the brand new um, acronym for it is the Xbox Sex. So that's going to be a thing now. That's perfect. Uh, we went from the X bone to the Xbox Sex. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. All right. It's, there's, there's, this is an industry secret that's not so secret. Um, Microsoft's not the best at marketing. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I hate to say it. Uh, they, they've, they've had some issues. The one thing they could do to redeem themselves, in my eyes, in the eyes of the internet, if they bring back Tay, that that Twitter bot. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a guest patiently waiting in the wings. I, I, I take it you don't play much Xbox. Uh, I played every day. Oh yeah, what do you play? Um, right now, I'm. Uh, for a year, I was playing PUBG, and then I needed to stop, so I picked up Call of Duty Black Ops a year ago because they had a PUBG mode. So I keep playing that, and now I'm on to the new Call of Duty and just leveling. I, I usually spend about an hour to an hour and a half every night after writing, just killing people online. You can follow me as Perfect Question if you want to which is uh, the name of one of my characters in my novel. <clears throat> I'm probably going to move on to that new Obsidian title because I used to game test for Obsidian. I, it, it escapes me right now, but everybody's really liking it. So I'm probably going to pick that up for the holidays and just kind of enjoy that and take a break from shooting people in the face. Also, I'm playing... Um, there's, there's actually a really great RTS that no one knows about on Xbox um, called Stellaris, which is an old... Uh, 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 desktop title and that ports amazingly well to xbox and it's a lot of fun if you sort of like grand strategy uh four by four x uh deep space rts that's kind of fun oh that sounds great that sounds like it pushes a lot of buttons yeah that, that just if if you're in that wheelhouse it just it's like having the perfect sandwich or the perfect i don't know uh, that that genre's really dropped in popularity. I think didn't it go away like 10, 20 years ago? Yeah, it did. I mean, like, I mean, except I for the hardcore hard Starcraft guys. Yeah. The problem, the problem always for corporate culture is that they're always attempting to make games for people who don't care, which is like sort of young kids and everything like that. <laughs> 
Um, but really there's, you know, and I've been talking actually with some industry leaders in gaming. Um, there's a bunch of us, you know, I, I, I don't want to say us old guys, but guys of a certain age who grew up in the eighties and seventies, and we're going to take gaming into our retirement. And we also have a lot of money too, which the young people don't have. So I think there's going to be, um, in about the next 10 years, there's going to be a shift towards super high end gaming that cater caters to people like us. And I think we're going to see some nostalgia surfing done well on things that we like. Um, but I think games, I think games are going to get a lot better, right? It feels like we went through a period where they got very just sort of plain and stupid and filled with a lot of stupid social agenda messages. And I think we're going to get back to like really fun, deep customization games. A concept that I think about a lot uh, for gaming is persistence. And that's something whenever I'm in the gaming community talking to them that I try to, I try to emphasize to them is, is something that gamers really want the ability to live a fully realized online world and influence that world and create within that world and have a life within that world. And I call that persistence. So it'll be interesting to see um, if any of my mad prophet desert wasteland ramblings infect anyone and cause a holy jihad in the gaming industry. I, I will say this, as far as like designing games for children, if they ever came out with a Candyland RTS, I would be all over that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> not? I love that. I, I do see a, I, I do see a vision of your future. Uh, I think my perspective on it is that currently uh, young folks use games as a hangout space. Yeah. The, you know, the Fortnites and the PUBG, right? That's, you know, back in, in my day, it was IRC chat rooms or AOL or whatever. And, and nowadays it's video games. And so we might get that, like you're saying, for uh, as we all get older, we may get that. We may want those online communities where we get to hang out and play. Yeah. And and maybe, and it, I, I picture it'll be sort of, uh, fragmented the way it is now you know you're going to have all the jrpg players hanging out in one place and and all the uh speed runners and 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 action players in another space that sort of thing yeah i think the person who marries it and makes it you know what novels like soda pop soldier ready player one or other novels have tried to to capture you know the person that can marry a space where we can all kind of be in there and I don't know. It's interesting. I I, I kind of need to get back to the Soda Pop Soldier series because I have some things I want to say in there about it, but I'm making too much hay on uh, Galaxy's Edge, so I'm there for right now. Well, I mean, you have to admit, Galaxy's Edge does have space soldiers and lightsabers and stuff, so... Yeah. <laughs> I... Um... I did have a question as far as like the Galaxy's Edge series. We mentioned a few things we were going to talk about before the show began. Right. Uh, and having briefed you about what we're going to talk about, I'm going to go in an entirely different direction because I'm cruel that way. No, I like that. I like the unexpected. Let's do some voodoo. Um, I was wondering that there, there was a <clears throat> secret project which you hadn't mentioned uh, which uh, a, a perspicacious and unusually intelligent individual I know uh, pulled out of thin air and said, this is what's happening. And it turned out to be true. And it was in relation to Amazon. It was a secret project that you were 
you were writing that Amazon was going to be involved in making. And it, it wasn't Audible, and it wasn't a book that was going to go on Amazon's side. It was a, a different sort of Amazon uh, project. And I was just wondering if there was anything in that venue that you could talk about. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about it because I'm still watching and waiting for it to happen. I think that the initial test did not go well and I'm still under sort of an NDA, so I can't say anything, but I, yeah. I still know that's where it's going. And I think it will be the fusion of audiobooks and gaming. And that's the most I can say without probably getting excommunicated, but it's coming but the great thing about uh, Amazon is that they learn from failure. A lot of companies can't afford failure. But the big tech companies can. And that's actually what makes them strong is they try things and they don't, you know, like when you see a gaming company come out with a big title and it just dies and the company just goes the way of the dodo, they just, they can't afford failure. But companies like Blizzard or companies like uh, Amazon, not that they're equal, but they have enough cash on hand um, to continue to test for failure. So you learn a lot, like if you ever study jazz, you learn a lot from failure um, because you learn what not to do and then you actually learn what to do. So it's actually quite productive. So that thing that you're talking about did not manifest correctly. Um, I think that it was executed and it just it just maybe was a little too wonky or maybe it was a little too ambitious but it can be done and it's there and i think it i think it ultimately will come to fruition but i can't say sorry i hate i hate vague podcasting or vague booking but uh i was sworn to secrecy yeah there are limits beyond which you cannot legally yeah. go yeah there are so that's okay yeah um we that, no actually we had uh we had Adam, Adam Baldwin from Firefly on the show. He was one of uh, our early guests on the show, uh, along with Larry Correa. And there was a movie coming out, which he could have been potentially in, involved with. And, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, so do you have a part in this movie? And his answer was, I don't think I can say anything about it. I'm like, okay, we'll move on. That's all right. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just so weird. Like you would think that saying, like I had to, I posted a picture because uh, Stephen Lang, who played the general from Avatar, is recording the latest Galaxy's Edge books, and uh, they sent us. They had a rap party yesterday in New York at the studio, and they sent us some pictures because writers shouldn't be allowed anywhere near anything fun. <laughs> and um, uh, I had to, you know, I, I was like normal me being an indie author. Um, I don't have to talk to corporations. I don't have to ask for permission, which is. I was a trade published author and what I hated about that was asking for permission to do things. And so now that I am vaguely back with a corporation, you know, I had to text them and say, is it okay if I share this picture? And they were actually surprisingly cool. They were like, yeah, that's why we took it. We, you know, we want you to do that. It, it only helps. So um, I could see having been part of another corporation or another corporate entity, entity, even the, the big six uh, in trade pub or, you know, movies like, out of, you know, like, they always want to control that so much. And, and instead we have this base that's really excited and really involved in galaxy's edge. And I thought, you know, like, why not, why not be able to share this really cool picture with them? So they let me and, and it did <clears throat> really well. I should talk deeper today. I'm talking on the top of my cords and that's not good, but, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, 
it, it, you know, information has become the new power, the new currency. And always was, but even more so now. And so, yeah, it's kind of a bummer when you can't you can't share or talk about things that you're excited about. And having said that, Adam Baldwin is on my um, my my capture list for for a audiobook that I want to have him narrate. And I hope I can do that. And I know he does that for Larry, so maybe I can steal him away. <laughs> well, he did, he did a great job on, oh, on yeah. the stuff he did for Larry. So that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's let's circle back around because um, there are some things I want to talk about that are kind of like when we've had you on the show before uh, and we've had you and Jason on the show one time, we talked about like some heavy business stuff mm -hmm. um, about Amazon and the algorithm and things like that. And I've got a couple of notes that I wanted to talk to you about. I've been holding these I've been holding these topics like close to my chest and just keeping them and, and polishing them like they were gold doubloons in my treasure chest and, and waiting until we had a good chance to bring you back on the show. And, and you've been, Galaxy's Edge has been kind of in a lull for a little bit. Um, and so now starting in November and working through December and into January of next year, you've had a bunch of new releases. So I'm bringing you back on the show because you have some exciting things to talk about that the audience is going to go, oh, that's great. And then once the audience has gone, oh, that's great, I can completely sucker them by talking about <laughs> the Amazon algorithm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can bore the hell out of them with that, <laughs> that, so, that, that algorithm talk. So let's start with, um, let's start with the good stuff. Right. Uh, you had, is it, Karen Travis, am I remembering that right? Yeah, Karen Travis, um, which most people will know if they read game novels from the early 2000s. Uh, mainly, like, it's kind of funny, like, with the explosion of the Mandalorian TV show, most people don't realize that Karen Travis pretty much single handedly created the concept of the Mandalorian culture. Um, now, there will be people that get all upset and angry, but that's Star Wars fandom, and that's practically toxic. But um, we don't like to use the word toxic because I think it's stupid. But in, in Star Wars, it does get a little toxic. It's weird. Um, but I got to spend about uh, about a month ago, I got to spend um, a weekend with her and a special forces operator who's beginning to throw his hat into publishing. And we just had a great weekend talking about that. Um, a year ago, Jason reached out to Karen Travis um, because Jason is a huge fan of the Star Wars novels, a huge fan of her. She wrote Republican Commando. She wrote Gears of War, um, bunch of series, and 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 just she's a truly delightful person, probably the best person ever from the United Kingdom. Um, and she wanted to. We we pitched her about getting involved in Galaxy's Edge, and we initially thought like, hey, great, she'll help us write more Legion culture novels. And, and we were really excited about that. But what she wanted to do was actually go in and do some really super early prequel work um, about why everybody kind of leaves um, the, the Earth to get out into the galaxy and things like that, which, which, which was touched on in Imperator. She wrote this really beautiful novel called Best of Us um, that's about post-apocalyptia, um, space exploration, colonization, politics, double crossing, and of course, soldiers. And a lot of people said, oh, we detect some cannon errors. And it's like, no, you haven't. There are no cannon errors. 
Um, everything will be explained. It's a long process. There are unreliable narrators, but her story will certainly meld with the rest of the galaxy. But it's just a beautiful, beautiful novel about um, maybe what we're looking at in the next 20 to 100 years on Earth. And she made some really great characters. Solomon, an AI dog, effectively, is a really cool character. Um, some really great soldiers. So she jumped in, and she's going to write a trilogy. And we wanted her to do it sort of the, the Galaxy's Edge algorithmic release way. And she's still fairly trade pub. So she just wanted to do one and, and, and see what happened. And that one really did well. So she's actually working on two and three right now. Um, it, we would have preferred to have two and three to, ready to go within 30 days so that people have somewhere to click once they love it. But as Lauren Moore is stating in the chat, it is a beautiful book and it's really awesome. And um, even if you don't read any Galaxy's Edge, you could read Karen Travis and be very happy. The Best of Us is, is a great book, but it, it brings so much wonderful color and texture to the Galaxy's Edge universe, which is which is the which is persistence, which is something that we want people to sort of live in and play in. So there's a nasty rumor going around that I just made up right now. Um, and I, I want you to, de to deny that uh, the Galaxy's Edge universe is, is really perfect questions universe back at the beginning. <laughs> no, I, I it, it's not. It, it, it really isn't at all. Um, I think that there are things because, you know, because I'm one of the creators and Jason Ansbach is the other creator. I think that there are concepts and things that 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 um, writers kind of play around with and, and bring up and 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 they forget maybe that it's in other novels. But here's what I like to say. And, and no, legally, they are not because I own the Soda Pop Soldier universe. And then I own co-own Galaxy's Edge with with Jason Ansbach. So they are they are not linked properties. Having said that, I like the metaverse concept. I like that there are versions of reality. I like that there are versions of Star Wars where, you know, and there's only three movies in Star Wars. So everybody knows there's just New Hope, <laughs> um, Empire Strikes Back and uh, The Return of the Jedi. Those are the only three movies. Um, wouldn't that have been awesome though, if Luke Skywalker would have flipped at the end of return of the Jedi. And I think in somewhere there's a metaverse where that actually happens. And those are not the same properties that's written by another George Lucas or another, you know, Tim Lucas or whatever it is. So I think that, it, I think that you can enjoy both series and say to yourself, Oh, you know, like if you, if you, if you, um, subscribe to Nick Cole's, uh, meta universe concept, uh, you know, or meta galaxy or whatever you want to call it. Um, that these are, that there are versions of reality that bleed over like Stephen King had in the, uh, in the dark tower, there are thinnies and occasionally things like seeing the Uruguay go down on the sands of Mars for both Rex and perfect question are moments where the galaxy got thin and things bled through. Awesome. Yeah. That is kind of cool. I mean, yeah. that, you know, there are con, there are, um, uh, consonances, I don't think is the word I want to say, but yeah, there are um, parallels that happen or reflections yeah. that happen. The weird universe that I write um, was my Dark Tower, and that's going to be 12 books long, and it's it's on its fourth book right now. Um, I probably think of that as my life's work, and it will take probably most of my life to finish, but my goal at the end of that series 
is that everything I've ever written can be added to that, makes sense in that, is reflected in that, and is understood by that. Having said that, that's just a game I'm playing with myself. It's just a fun sort of like meta universe kind of book series that's just pure pulp fun. But at the same time, you know, you think about things um, because you think about higher and deeper concepts because those are great foundations that people never see in the writing. They're just having fun running from um, Terminators or zombies or Cthuloid monsters and surviving sort of a meltdown of, of their local civilization. Um, but at the same time, it's it's fun to have the groundwork there to play with it. But um, with the weird universe, I want people to, to say, oh, like everything was actually in that. It's interesting. Cool. Okay. So the other thing that happened in November was that you had an Audible book come out, which was the um, Order of the Centurion. Do right. That right series? Yeah. Yeah. The Order of the Centurion series. Um, the first two books were great. Yeah. Which ones? The first two books in that series were great. Oh, that was uh, Order of the Centurion by J.R. Handley. Um, and he, uh, was a soldier in Iraq and it's, it's, uh, he, he received a, uh, a traumatic brain injury. Um, and he came to us and wanted to sort of write, um, a lot of our, our veterans, uh, audience, um, really enjoy reading the galaxy's edge stories because they will say that it actually helps them with their PTSD and helps them work through, through work through some things. And so, when we had someone like J.R. Handley who shared his story with us um, and, and is a writer and has his own series, and he's just he's the community manager over at Galaxy's Edge Fan Club, and he just went in there and just knocked it out of the park. And that is a, that is a really beautiful book. Um, the Reservist, the first one was written primarily by Jason Ansbach. Um, primarily, actually all of it. I, I just went through it. Sometimes Jason will write a book and then I'll just kind of go through it and give my feedback or sometimes I'll, I'll write a book and, and Jason will give his feedback. But honestly, Order of the Centurion is, is a book um, that Jason just banged out of the park. And for people who don't know, um, the best way to break, break it down is that the Galaxy's Edge series is the main series that's written by Jason and I. And it's the main sort of through line, the big story, we have other series that we're doing. We have a, uh, there was a character that everybody loved named Tyrus Rex. He got killed in book two. We went back and did his sort of greatest hits. He was a bounty hunter. So essentially we turned him into a um, Mac Bolin kind of character. And he has like a series of just sort of never ending adventures that you can get in on. He lived for about 2000 years. So he had a, he had a lot of fun, fun stories um, to tell. And then with the Order of the Centurion series, that was an early idea that we had when we were exp experiencing a lot of initial success. And we were wondering how to meet with the keep up with the demand and the content and everything like that. And so we said, well, how about we invite some of our friends and our favorite authors to come on in and and basically um, play in the universe? And so JR did that. Jason started it off. Um uh, Scott, uh, Scott Moons hasn't been published. Richard, uh, uh, Fox, who writes the Ember War series and is an Iraq veteran. He came in and did something. Josh Hayes did something. He was a serviceman member in the, in the air force. Um, Jonathan Yanez, who is a fantastic young science fiction writer. He came in and did one based on his dad who had served in Vietnam. And what the order of the centurion is, is for the Legion. It's effectively the medal of honor. It's the highest award that you can be, uh, awarded, uh, something like, you know, uh, 
I think it was the number was like 98% of the people who get it uh, die in the process of doing that as posthumous. And this was our reflection on that. So every story is a standalone story in the universe and it revolves around the metal and what happened to it. And sometimes it's a direct uh, interesting sort of person, the person gets awarded and sometimes there's a roundabout way towards it. And, um, those books were initially released on audio and because of our audible deal, we have to wait six months for them to release on ebook. And so they're starting to hit the market now. And we're kind of watching that to see if we want to expand that as I'm not sure, um, what the status of this contract is, but I think Brad Torgerson's going to come in and write one, or a trilogy in another way, but initially the offer was an order of the Centurion book for him, but I'm not, I'm not sure how that discussion went. I just know that he's going to do something. I don't know if it's an order of the Centurion. I just know that's where it started. Um, this actually uh, brings up a, it reminds me of a topic that had occurred to me that uh, maybe it's a can of worms, but I want to get it in real quick um, because it, it's sort of a, writing topic that I'm thinking about for writers. It's like you killed off Tyrus Rex in book number two, right? Yes. And he turned out to be a really um, popular character. Yeah. That, that's the kind of smart, intelligent planner that I am. Um, so my question is, is, Looking back at the plot of that, he, he it didn't necessarily the plot could have gone the same way without him dying. Um, he could have been just taken out of the action and didn't necessarily have to die. Am I wrong? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I hate to tell you, uh, oh, I respect your opinion so much. <laughs> Um, and you were, you have been, uh, you have been a strong supporter of mine from way back and, uh, especially sort of in the, the sort of dark times of my publishing career. So I always would defer to your wisdom and I would try to see your point of view and say, yes, it could have happened, but in killing Tyrus Rex, what we show and Tyrus Rex is, is as, um, as bad a person you would ever want to meet as in like, he's tough, he's strong, he's capable. He, there's no, he's just, a. he reminds me of officers and certain uh, people that I knew in the military. And he's just, he's just a, a very, he's a highly capable soldier. That's the, the most lethal thing that I can say about him. Um, but what we were introducing was the big bad in galactic outlaws. And, you know, people, when they think about the whole series, they forget that Goth Sullis was initially cloaked in, in some mystery. And you're not really sure there's these rumors about a person on the edge and there's these things. And, and Tyrus Rex has been told uh, to hang out on the edge and wait for somebody who may have violated a contract. Tyrus Rex also has a form of Alzheimer's by the time you meet him in, in Galactic Outlaws, because he's been around for 2000 years and he forgets a lot of the details. Um, but, we needed to show that Goth Sullis was something unlike anything that the galaxy had dealt with. And what the Galaxy's Edge series initially was about was about stormtroopers. It's about legionnaires. It's about um, stormtroopers in Afghanistan. It, it, it is Star Wars and feel and tone and, and 
all the things that we love about Star Wars um, without the garbage storytelling that it's actually become known for. Um, but what instead of focusing on Star Wars is about the battle for the soul of the Jedi. Galaxy's Edge is about the battle of the, for the soul of the stormtrooper. And now here we were suddenly getting into a Jedi like character. And what we needed to show was this character because of what they have acquired and what they've done and where they've gone, which you learn in Imperator, this character is not to be trifled with, not to be messed with. And so it, it kind of like, you know, remember you'd watch the old next generation and Worf was this incredibly capable warrior, the Batleth, all these kind of things and, you know, warrior culture. But whenever they wanted to show something was tough and no one could mess around with it, they had that thing just beat the crap out of Worf. And effectively, that's what we had to do with Tyrus Rex. And I take responsibility for that. That I, I think Jason would have maybe not made that choice. But um, I killed Tyrus Rex. I didn't know he'd be so popular. I just needed to show that Goth Sullis was so dangerous. And then lo and behold, it's, you know, like readers are cats. They go where you don't want them to go. And initially, they just love Tyrus Rex, even to the point that, you know, an actor a major actor, Hollywood actor is recording our book and Tyrus Rex is in there and he's already asking about the possibility of playing it in the, in the, in the TV series that we're pitching right now to two different networks. And he's like, he, he, he had a verbatim quote, Tyrus Rex is the ultimate hero. And he sees, you know, he wants to play this character and he was, he's dead, you know? <laughs> so, so, but, <laughs> I'm a big, the way that I create and the way that I was trained, um, everything can be made right without being cheesy and it's all a dream and everything like that. So there are games that we can play contracts and termination, uh, terminations, which is his series is, is probably my favorite thing to write. And, and he, he, you know, my goal is to write 57 books in that. So we'll see what happens, but he's alive. He's, he's living in the galaxy. He has 2000 years of history to play with. Um, we'll see what happens. Well, see, my, my question was going to be, Oh, that um, wasn't the question. <laughs> no, that wasn't the question. That was just like, uh, that was just like, a uh, an introduction to the question. <laughs> the question was actually, if you're a writer, uh, and it's advice to other writers, uh, <clears throat> advice from you to other writers. If you're a writer, is there any way you can recognize and the answer seems to be no. I'll be perfectly honest because I've seen enough people who are creators and writers and everything that becomes suddenly popular seems to have caught them by surprise, seems to have blindsided them. And they're like, wait, that's what you find <laughs> interesting? Well, it just goes back to the, the quote that's in the, in the chat right now, readers are cats. And that's true. And this is where the brilliance of Jason Anspot comes in because – I think what you see with most writers is one, they don't plan for success. So they write this incredibly intoxicating character that everybody likes and they're not prepared to follow up on that. And so they don't, and they don't write ready player one part two, and they don't write the Martian two and things like that. Instead they go off because, you know, honestly for a lot of people, the struggle of creating something, um, is filled with many pitfalls and especially something like success. Everybody wants success, but nobody plans for success. So they, you know, most writers just throw a novel out there and they hope that you like it. They don't intend for it to be successful because if you intended it for it to be successful, 
like I was talking about with Karen Travis, you would have two or three novels ready to go to follow up on that success. And thankfully, Jason caught our our my mistake of killing a really wonderful character. And we found that through testing in the fan group. And what we did was we asked people, if we were to write some more novels about other characters in the series, who would you want to see? And yes, there are people who wanted Scriz novels, which Scriz is a, is a, is basically, yeah. A, yeah. yeah. So, um, but overwhelmingly they it's wanted, Chewbacca. More yeah, it's Chewbacca, a cat Chewbacca. And, um, and overwhelmingly people wanted a Tyrus Rex novel. So we just, you know, we're creators. We're, uh, it's easy to sit down and figure out, well, how can we solve this puzzle with words? Um, the problem that most writers don't know is that, and especially in the old traditional publishing model, is they didn't have any feedback feedback, or they were at the mercy of just inter-trade house, house feedback from editors who actually are not fans of the series and don't care about it or they are the victim of 12 IP addresses manipulating fandom, which is something Karen Travis talks about when she wrote for the Star Wars series. They thought there was a groundswell of ways that people wanted the Star Wars universe to go. And really it just turned out to be 12 IP addresses that were sort of manipulating the conversation to get it to go where they wanted it to go. And so that can be the danger, but we have this wonderful thing called Facebook. And what we can do, <clears throat> with Facebook, when you have a fan group for your novel established, is you can ask poll questions of the readers that you know and trust and verify. And these people can kind of come in and tell you like, well, this is where we see going. This is where we want to go. Uh, this is, these are the things that we like. And you have to weigh all that out. But the great thing is it helps you to navigate what you might want to do instead of what most writers are doing, which is sort of flailing around for a new idea. And the danger is, is that if you've blown up the Death Star once, you're going to blow it up again. You know, I mean, like, that's a joke I make in the in Control Alt Revolt. But like, you know, how many times can you watch the Death Star be blown up? And apparently we're going to get it again. You know, it's just never going to end. And it's it's it, 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 I'd love to just sit there and say, um, yeah, I would like a fancy pants novel too, David Gatewood. <laughs> but um you have to be enjoying the chat to get these comments but um i i probably at times have been too hard on on uh on 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 star wars like they were just f finding their way through but when you're able to learn from other people's mistakes you realize like if you blow up the giant space battleship or whatever the huge thing is be careful because there's a danger that you're going to do that two and three times over and it's going to get boring and that's how you kill the series. And maybe there's something to be said for having a series begin and end. And maybe there's something to be said for building a larger universe to play in a brand, which is what Jason did from the very beginning with galaxy's edge. Instead of building a series, he built a, a brand, he built a, a universe and a galaxy. And I was you know, privileged to come in and help create that with him. And so we are able to tell other stories besides blowing up the Death Star, going after Goth Solace number two. That could have easily been a trap we fell into. Instead, we have all these other stories to tell. I am looking forward um, to the Savage Warbs books because I'll be honest, the thing that intrigues me most <clears throat> um, isn't necessarily the answers behind what the Savages were doing. But I want to see some more about um, whether it's, uh, you know, when they land in the Savage 
uh, in the Savage Ship, uh, Tyrus Rex and and his friends, and they have that gigantic uh, pyramid or or ziggurat or whatever it is, and you know he gets immortality and all these strange and and dark and evil things are happening, and you hear about how this went on all over the galaxy. I just want to hear some more about or read some more about fighting that stuff and how do you defeat it and getting involved in that and landing on ships like that. That's why I'm looking forward to the Savages, the Savages yeah. series is because that just sounds cool. How fighting those wars and winning those wars. Yeah. You are going to get, you are going to be, then you will be well pleased with this because that is basically the crux of it. Um, the first novel is the beginning of it. And then the second novel steps away and is two parts and it explores the mind of a savage Marine. And I think people will be shocked by what that really means. And then the second half of that is Tyrus Rex forming the Legion. And that is maybe not what people think it is. And it takes Tyrus Rex from being, uh, we initially meet Tyrus Rex as a bounty hunter. And then when we go back in time, we realize that he's actually uh, a general in the Legion. And before that ever happened, he was a homicidal maniac, um, a genocidal maniac, because he felt that the only way to deal with the savages was by nuking them one planet at a time. And he had a nuclear weapon called the trigger nuke that could basically ignite, ignite an entire planet. And most of the galaxy was saying to Tyrus, like, listen, we've got to find another way to deal with the savages. You're just getting rid of planets. But Tyrus, having been a slave on a savage ship, has very definite ideas about it. And it's actually another character um, who convinces him, hey, why don't we do something? Why don't we form a legion? that can fight the savages instead of just destroying them we drive them off of these planets and then we destroy them instead of destroying the planet along with it so you will be real well i think well rewarded with what that looks like and and the quote that comes out of that novel is that the savages make no sense and that's a tyrus rex you know how do you fight something that makes no sense and and so i think i think you'll be i i think you'll enjoy it so there was stuff that came out in November, stuff that came out in December, and now more stuff coming out in the future. Is there yeah. a place where people can go where you have like one central uh, repository to show what's come out and and keep up with the series and, and just pick and choose what they want to read? Yeah, if you don't want to go to galacticoutlaws.com, which is the Galaxy's Edge webpage, um, the easiest way actually is to go to Legionnaire on Amazon, the book page for that. And that book page is a pro page. So it breaks down all the different series and everything like that. Um, or you can just jump on the galaxy's edge fan club page over on Facebook and just post that question. And, and we have such awesome readers. They will literally like come alongside you and shepherd you through the process of where to start. But, you know, basically what it breaks down to right now is there's the main series, which is Galaxy's Edge. You can listen to that, that on audio or you can start that with Legionnaire. And then you can move over to Tyrus Rex, Contracts and Terminations, or you can move over to Order of the Centurion. There's probably no real reading order on any of the external series. They just sort of complement the main series. And the truth is there are a lot of people that just read the side books and enjoy them. I don't think they've actually jumped in to the main series because we try to write this, the side books as all standalones. And then what's happening right now as we speak is the prequel to the main series, which is Savage Wars is about to come out. I would expect maybe by the end of the month or early next month 
on audio and ebook because that gets a simultaneous release. And then we also have, um, uh, I forgot, I forgot what the other thing is, but there's another thing coming. Um, Quick question from the chat. Speaking of upcoming stuff, Astelnar asks, what's Forgotten Ruin? Uh, Forgotten Ruin is a fantasy series that Jason and Spock and I are writing and people think it's one thing, but it's going to be something different. And I don't want to say that because what I have learned in the past year um, is that people listen to what I say and listen to what my other fellow authors who are sort of influencers and are doing well and then they run out and try to get ahead of us and make what they think it's going to be. And then basically camp all, you know, ruin the algorithm and camp out all over those titles before we get there. So we've played a little trick on people and it's going to be interesting. All right. So let's, let's, Speak oh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, speaking of the algorithm, Daddy Warpig, uh, do you have some questions about that? Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I was in the process of saying, let's dive into shop talk. I mean, uh, Nicole, Nicole, you're the best. You provide the best segues. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, 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 speaking of the algorithm, turning to the algorithm, that wasn't that great. <laughs> um, from what I understand, uh, from what uh, other authors. Oh, look what I did. I switched profiles. This is my algorithm profile. This is one of the most. This is one of the most action-packed uh, episodes of the Geek Gab. We're switching profiles on you. The Galaxy's Edge profile. This is the algorithm profile. <laughs> that's that's how you know you, we're talking serious business now. Hey, I'm a trained actor. You, this 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 doesn't just happen. Um, the what I've gotten back from various author friends of mine is that whereas at one point in time, um. Amazon.com was really pushing for also bots so that if you look at a book, you can see a bunch of other books that are very uh, substantially like it. So you can also buy those and get something that is really compatible with your tastes, which is a great system. It's a great system. I'm sure it's a great system for Amazon, but more particularly, it's a great system for customers. Right. Because you can find stuff that probably you'll like, or usually you have a better chance of liking than other stuff. But the problem seems to be now is that they have backed off from that and seem to be just including ads, people who pay to appear on a page, and they may or may not have anything to do with the book uh, that you're, whose page you're currently perusing. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that accurate? Have I? It is accurate um, in what we're seeing. Uh, Amazon did make a lot of money last year on advertising, and that did seem to be a new um, uh, image shift for them or, or paradigm shift or, or, or what do you, focus shift. That's the best way to say that. Having said that, I think that the algorithm still does work. I think that the first thing that we should talk about when we talk about algorithms and that people should understand is um, it's changing all the time and it's changing for reasons where Amazon, because Amazon wants to sell you things. It does want to sell you that next book. Excuse me. Coffee. Um, that was disgusting. Edit that out. 
Um, it does want to sell you things all the time. It wants to, uh, it, it wants to sell you the next book that it thinks that you would like. And I think it will do that. The problem is, is that for the last two years, every writer in the world, um, in sort of the quit your job movement has jumped on, um, Amazon and they've written a lot of crap. And then they've packaged it and they've started to try to sell it to you every day or every week. And so what happened is there became, there came into the market, these sort of slam bam jam people who really weren't interested in telling stories. They're interested in fleecing people and they hire people to write their books, mass produce their books, and then drop them onto Amazon. Um, and that's not respectful or polite to the reader. Um, it's actually not respectful or polite to your fellow authors it's not the same as rapid release. Rapid release means you write a series and you write that series in advance and then you release that series over a short period of time. And hopefully it's a series that is well written, well edited, has good, you know, um, um, uh, good intentions to deliver an interesting, enjoyable ride to the to to the audience. What the other crowd is, is it's a crowd of people who just want to maintain uh, a, a supremacy in the algorithm and they'll do whatever they can. They won't edit the books. They'll write crap. They'll attack any genre that's even basically hot and they'll try to jump all over it. And that ultimately is hurting the entire uh, group of people. And you just find like, you wish everybody had a more communal mindset or whatever, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of money right that right out there right now. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, I'm probably going to get in some trouble over this. So yeah, I am dropping truth bombs and they're going to be unpleasant for people, but I really don't care. Um, uh, because I just don't care. I, I'm more, I, I really am invested in, I like making money as a writer, but if you, if you're going to go ahead and croak the host organism, by doing these kinds of things, then you're going to hurt my bottom line down the road. But I actually just really like people to have a good time reading books. And when people are just out there just writing as much crap as they possibly can, getting a speedy cover up there and then dominating the algorithm, what was happening with the also bots is the also bots were becoming disingenuous because they were manipulated by these mass producers dropping everything all over them at once. And there wasn't much any of us could do about it. Well, it turns out Amazon does not like those people and they're not satisfied with that because they realize that the crap is hurting the bottom line. The initial problem that we had in publishing was quality uh, in indie publishing was quality when it, when it was a fair attack by TradePub against Amazon authors. We didn't edit our stuff. We weren't very good writers. I've been on the trade and I, I started off as an indie and I had a success. And by the grace of God, that book did well because I just actually went back through it recently because I re reacquired the rights. And by editing standards, it was not good. People liked it and they forgive a lot of bad errors just for a good story. And that book is The Old Man and the, and the Wasteland. And, and it's a good story, but it could have used editing. And it got editing at HarperCollins when they acquired it. But most writers out there are doing this sort of, you know, uh, write it and hit publish and get it up there and get it in the algorithm and get your people buying it. And so that was blowing out the algorithm. And But it was basically taking us back to uh, a sewer that we had crawled out of 
as Amazon writers, where we hire editors and we we take we we approach it with quality and we do a good job. Well, there's a whole group that's coming in now that just they're not really concerned about that. They're just concerned about getting in the algorithm. They're concerned about staying up there. So effectively, I really do think and I have had conversations at Audible and Amazon. Um, they, they're not pleased with this. And so whether the also bots went away because of the crap or whether the also bots went away because they want to sell you more um, books, I, 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 I found I'm going to tell a story real quick. Amazon really does love the truth. Um, they worship the truth. The algorithm is the truth for them. They're like those freaks that I always say in Beneath the Planet of the Apes who worship the nuclear bomb. They worship the data bomb. The data bomb is everything to them. And the best way that I can tell you that that's true is that Jeff Bezos is getting a divorce. And on the day that he announced or his wife announced that she was divorcing him, her book, she was she was an authoress. Her book before the divorce was ranking at 500,000 in the store. If I was Jeff Bezos and I owned Amazon and Nicole wrote a book, that book would probably be in the top 100, whether the data said so or not. I want to make my wife happy and I want her books to sell. What that told me that her book wasn't ranking hard uh, was that Amazon wasn't manipulating the algorithm, that they deal, they do really want the cream to rise to the top. We writers have always been a problem for Amazon, and we're all guilty of it. And even I have done it. When I first published Old Man in the Wasteland, I knew that sparkly vampires were hot. So in the keywords, I just wanted people to look at my book. So in the keywords, I put vampires. And that's the reason that keywords don't work is because authors are not honest about the keywords. They just realize that harem is working now. Lit RPG is working now. And they just put the keyword in whether it means anything or not. And so keywords have been weighted down in the algorithm. And now what we're seeing is the people who do the rapid release, the people who do the weekly release, the people who do uh, who aren't who aren't releasing series, who aren't taking the time to build a series. They've got four to six books. They release it over a two to three month period. I'm talking about the people who want to stay on top of the algorithm and they'll do whatever it takes. Those people, I think now the algorithm is waiting against them and they know it's true because they're going wide now. They realize the jig is up at Amazon. And I would say this, this does not make them horrible people. This does not, I'm not trying to say anything about anybody. I think it's honorable to try to find a way to make, to take care of your family. I think it's honorable to try to game the system as best as you can. But sometimes the system has to come in and police itself up and get rid of the crap. And so that's all Amazon is doing is saying, listen, you just can't, you can't use the algorithm to dominate it so that other books don't rise to the top based on quality. You can't just use your massive amount of people to try to, you know, overwhelm the algorithm. You got to write a series. You got to get fan reviews. We, we, you know, even fan reviews are being weighted, but I'll just stop there and say that I've said a lot, but yes, the also bots were taken away in my opinion to actually protect us. Protect us from people who were abusing the system yes. so that they weren't, um, and I noticed that actually, because I would go doing a search for keywords uh, or search for kinds of books I wanted to look at. And the first three results that came back were books that were absolutely obviously had nothing to do with what I had searched for. I complained right. about it on Twitter. Yeah. You know, did some, 
I did one of my rants. I complained about <laughs> it on Twitter, yeah. tossed off some screenshots to show what it was about. And then, you know, having ranted, I moved on because I've got other things to rant about. But <laughs> that's, I mean, I mean, and I, and I, and I know there's people that are going to get upset or whatever. And they're going to say that Nick Cole, he's over there, but everybody hates my guts already. So I don't care. And I really don't care for other writers generally because I find them to be horrible people. Now, all the writers that I know are wonderful people because I try to do that. But writers are a pretty contentious, toxic bunch of awful people. And they're just doing their best. And we, maybe we have to be that way to write the villains and the garbage that we write. So I'm not saying that's actually a bad thing. I'm just saying that in this economy and the way that people are, are doing things, you try everything that you can to sell a book and make a buck for your family. And that's honorable and that's good. And this sort of thing has been going on and will always go on in Amazon. Someone will always find a way to game the system. I remember when Galaxy's Edge first launched, there was a guy and there was a problem that space marine fiction had. But there was someone out there that had put a chick in a bikini on a, a space bikini and a space princess. And in the copy, he wrote, there are more pictures of this girl inside the book. He wasn't trying to sell you a space marine novel. He was just trying to sell you a novel that was probably badly written, bad grammar and everything like that. And he was using sex to sell it. That is as old as, you know, we're all trying that. And I'm just trying to say to people, I don't hate you for that. But if we're going to protect the algorithm, we do occasionally have to go in and police up our own. We try to do that as writers. There are some people that try to blow out the system and teach people that, you know, that's the thing that I hate really about writing right now is that everybody's got a system for, for like, okay, then I did this, then I did that. And then I quit my job and that's called the, I quit my job crowd. And that's not really what it's about. What, what it's really about is you connecting with readers and, and helping people to get through their day. People have a hard day. People are dying of cancer. They're taking care of people who die of cancer. They're working in a toll booth. And when they come to your book, what they really would like to do is go be a stormtrooper in Afghanistan or, you know, be locked inside of a video game. And your job is to take them away from that and to give them a good time. Your job is not to monetize them and make them, you know, make them a little cult to basically sell your books and keep you in the style, you know, and that's, that is the problem. And so if it wasn't the algorithm, it was the pictures or it was sort of the, the sexy male midriff to sell, you know, space marine novels or whatever it is like that. Amazon is always coming in. They're aware of all these tricks and they try to police up the tricks as soon as they find a system. And I think the attack on the also bots, the removal of the also bots was a way to say to the, the mass producing crowd, Amazon is not the place for you. It doesn't mean that you can't pay, put up your books. It doesn't mean that they won't be able to do that. It means that if you're going to, here, here's the effect of it. You and I are having a conversation much like this one. And instead of letting you ever talk much like this conversation, I just talk and talk and talk. And when you start to talk, I shout over you. That's effectively what the mass produced rapid release every month crowd was doing in excess. I think you can still do rapid release. I would say four to six books, and you're probably not going to get throttled by Amazon. But the moment you start trying to do it every day, which some people were trying to do, or every week, I think you're flirting with disaster. So, uh, and that does bring me to the last topic that we talked about before the show is why you recommended, it used to be you were recommending um, 
in order to court the whales, people who will, you know, regularly buy your, your book once a month, every month for as long as you continue writing the series. So you're saying, okay, release a book about every 30 days to two months at the most, if you can, you know, manage that kind of pace. So now you, now you recommended doing it, okay, four times a year, maybe six times a year, but no, no more often than that. So that's a change there. And is it because of these changes to the algorithm? Yeah, I would say that I think the real way that you should actually do it is you should take six months off. And, and, and I hate it when people tell you how you should do things. Everybody do whatever they want to do. But, and, and again, I don't hate the people who did the rapid release thing. I don't fault them. They're just trying to take care of their families. And I have no problem with that. But what Amazon says is you're, 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 you're basically shouting over the top of everybody and, and everybody needs a chance to get on here because we got to find the next Martian because that way we all make enough money. We make more money. If, if one author comes in and writes the next Martian, it makes people go more to Amazon and buy more books, not just one book. So we have to police these things and we have to, to do it. But here's what I would really say. Here's, you know, a year ago, I was more on the rapid release thing. I would say, I would have said every 30 days, you should try to have a book out. And I still don't think that's a problem if you can maintain that pace. But what I really think that would really serve people is stop paying attention to the, the author rankings and stop trying to be number one and stop trying to ride that train and be on that tail. And what I would say is take six months off and write a series, a small series, three to four books, then, or maybe five to six books, maybe three books and, and write them really well and get them edited and pay for a good cover. And then take those books and release them over a short period of time so that you can maximize on, hey, I just finished this book. I wish there was another place to go. You could actually do that every 15 days. Or you could even put the book up, put a pre-order up for it and say it's going to be out in 30 days. Basically have a, a short run of a rapid release and then walk away. And then start. And what you've done now, like if you've done three to four, four to six books and they're really rolling, you now have a fan base that's probably going to follow you on to book six as long as you want to take, I wouldn't take that long. But having said that, if George R. R. Martin released his latest book, everybody would go buy it. And it's been as long as I've been writing professionally since he put out a book in his series. But what you should use the rapid release do is to punch the market, get their attention, get people interested in the series, and then go back and step away and write the rest of the series. All right. Um, Wow, yeah, we got through all of that. Walker said that right now. He said, it looks like two things are at play. Folks don't miss you if you don't go away for a while. That's true. Um, and everyone benefits if we all take turns on stage. That is that in a perfect world, if we played by that, that would be great. But that's usually my problem with most liberals is that it's and I'm not saying Bradford Walker is, but I'm just saying there's always this naive hope that if everybody just behaved correctly, we would all profit. Yes. But the answer is no, you will always get people who attempt to game the system unfairly and, and shoot other people in the back and do bad reviews and put bikinis on covers. That is always going to be there. But I, Amazon is a really wonderful company and they take time to make sure that they get rid of the bad actors. 
Uh, I, I've got a question because I think your point earlier was really uh, insightful about Amazon. So it was hurting their bottom line. Yeah. So is, uh, are they a wonderful company because they seek to do the right thing for their authors and their customers, or is that an emergent property of their uh, desire to maximize the profits of their thing? Is, is it, and it's obviously, obviously not an either or thing, but. Well, uh, I mean, I talk with Amazon, uh, mainly I have a lot of interactions with the Audible people, which is a, a portion of Amazon, and I find them to be an incredibly um, caring, interested group of people who not only care about the society and the culture, um, but what's very interesting about the Audible people is they're super pro-veteran and they really care for veterans and they've, they've, they've gone to great lengths for veterans. And they, you know, like that's a lot of people say that in corporate culture, but I've actually seen Amazon do a lot for that. So that's, that's very interesting. But what they really are concerned about is the quality. They, they, they know like, here's how it really works. And what most people don't understand is that we writers provide free content to get people to come onto the Amazon website. Amazon doesn't pay us anything, any money. Some of us doesn't pay us money to put stuff on this site. Like trade pub has to, and while Amazon loves books and they're very much in the culture and they've built a whole group of people to sort of police those books and make sure the quality is there. Anybody can put anything up on Amazon. And the reason that is, is Amazon would really like to sell you soap. They'd really like to sell you paper towels. They would really like to sell you a craftsman tool set. They want to get you on this whole new sort of like a, a subscription plan to get more dishwasher tabs and everything like that. They don't really, they make a lot of money in the selling of books, but they don't have to pay anything for it. It's a brilliant, brilliant scheme. We put up free content. People go to that website. They buy the latest Nick Cole, Jason Ansbach book, and then they go, oh yeah, I need dish tabs. And that's how they sell. So they're a good company and they want there to be quality because if people know that they're going to get a great, like if you sit down like tonight, like when The Martian was an indie novel, and you have a great time reading The Martian and you finish it tomorrow night and you said, damn, that was a lot of fun. I really did like sitting there reading a good novel. I'm going to do that again on this fancy new Kindle device or whatever it is. And you go do that and you have another good experience and you're like, oh, yeah, I better pick up those dish tabs. Then it, it's benefiting everybody. But if you keep getting these crappy novels that aren't well edited and that are just slam and jam or, you know, a, a, you know, padding, that was a thing that was going on. People were playing with the formatting. People were putting ads in there. Like any garbage thing that an author can think of to do to, 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 do to a novel and to make more money, they'll do. That's just a fact. And Amazon tries to police them from doing that because what they're saying is like, if you do this, if you jam the reader enough times, they, they'll stop doing this and they'll find a new activity and they'll go watch football or they'll go play D&D or they'll go over to Xbox and they won't be here buying books and we won't be buying, we won't, we, we won't be selling them soap. So to keep this whole scheme going, the writer part of the equation is we have to write really quality stuff. And if we write really quality stuff, they will come back and read the next quality thing that we write. They will give us money and Amazon will be able to sell them more dish tabs. Uh, yeah, that sounds fair to me. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my experience is, and I'm really happy to hear that you, you're talking to the people in the audible uh, business and, and they're really good people and they care about, 
people and veterans and product uh, because my perspective is from software engineering. Right. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a programmer by trade. And when I hear uh, when I hear you talking about the algorithm, of course, it's not, it's not precisely what we're talking about, but it, it gets the point across. The idea that uh, someone cares about the actual product uh, is is foreign to a software engineer because if you were talking to a room of software engineers instead of a room full of uh, people who are managing the actual audible products, uh, all they're seeing is inputs and outputs, and all they're seeing is, well, you know, we've noticed this trend that uh, now that we've weighted uh, our also bots at X percent, we've noticed that we've lost sales. We're, we're, you know, we're not getting repeat customers because here's all the metrics or the people visiting these pages, that sort of thing. Uh, and say, we, there's a problem here. Let's try and fix it. Right. Yeah. So that's, that, that's what prompted that question. Because from that, from that point of view, when you get a bunch of people in a room who are either autistic software engineers, or maybe they've been hired from uh, other parts of the world where they don't have the same uh, culture uh, relationship with authors and books that that we do that that they're not thinking of that at all they're just thinking of well i've got this big machine that generates money for the company and so i need to change the inputs and outputs of this machine yeah and the danger the danger is always in you know we've loved the internet since the rest of us have been able to play on it but it's had these moments remember like spam remember pop-ups remember all these things that used oh, to yeah. You know, like human beings given a chance will try to insert sex into something and because it's lurid and people like it and they'll look. But what you're really talking about there is most summed up in the con the conversation of the sacred and the profane. And the easiest example I can give you for that is that at one point, Larry Dave, uh, not Larry, Dave, <laughs> Larry Flynn, um, different Larry, not Larry Korea. Oh my gosh. Um, Larry Flynn, you know, defended pornography and, and the problem in that, in that defense or, or what, what, what the, um, what the defense put up when they questioned the jurors, they said, have you been to a museum and have you looked at nudes in a museum? And they said, yes. And they said, well, then how can you claim that these nudes are different than those nudes? They're nude, they're nude statues, nude nymphs, nude things. Now we're just showing you nude women. What's the difference? And the difference is the difference between the sacred and the profane. Yeah, we can jam all these things out and we can all do it and we can look at values and we can use this machine, but we need this sort of like theology, spirituality, whatever it is for someone to step back and say, are we doing right? you know, at what point do we blow the customer out? And they say, I've had enough bad experiences. I've had enough shame. I'm not, I'm ashamed of going to Amazon. I don't want to do that anymore. And so what I see, and I don't know, it would be interesting to have like, you know, a deep level conversation and whoever runs that algorithm. But remember the Amazon's algorithm is about 20 years ahead of everybody else, including the U S military. And there's something that they've learned in that. If you don't protect the purity of the data, but at the same time have a philosophy that governs it, people, any because, because the data is open, because the algorithm is open to outside input, it can be destroyed, you know, especially if that input is negative. What if that input is willfully negative? And we, we have seen that. And that was, that was a danger that some of us were talking about Southeast Asia, is that certainly a lot of people were able to come online and put in books. And because they were from Southeast Asia, they didn't mind copying and stealing books that existed because even if they got that book up for a few hours and just made $5,000 on it, 
for someone in Southeast Asia, $5,000 was a year's worth of economy. Whereas here, someone would say, no, it's not worth it for me to, to copy uh, uh, Larry's book and put it up and claim it's mine. I'll get banned from Amazon. For them, they're like, I don't care. I just made 5,000 bucks. Even if I can never get back on, that 5,000 bucks was life-changing. So we have to protect the, the algorithm because it's open to bad actors. And sometimes those bad actors are ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. And sometimes they're only slightly culpable in that they're they know that what they're doing is like, you know, like everybody can justify whatever you want to do. You, you know, like that's that's the problem sometimes with quote unquote man-made religion is everybody can argue over how many angels can dance on the head of a, of an angel of a of a pin. But we go back to sort of that Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park moment. Just because you can do it, you really need to ask yourself, should you do this? And and the answer is before you put the girl in the bikini on there and say there's more pictures of her on the inside of this novel, all you have to do is buy this Space Marine book, and it's not really a Space Marine book, you should ask yourself, like, what is the long game of this if I keep doing this? Other people learn from me. Everybody starts doing it. Suddenly, there are no Space Marine books. It's just basically a rack of pornography. Uh, can I use that quote? We're going to put that on your book cover. <laughs> <laughs> just a rack of pornography <laughs> <laughs> you know and 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 you'll always get that guy that comes in and says well what's wrong with pornography okay well let's play your game nothing's wrong with pornography but if you're going to amazon to find space marine novels and all you can do is find people who are shouting buy my pornography then how do you like, and, and you don't, you don't have any problem with pornography, but how do you find the space Marine novel? How do you find galaxy's edge? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's what Amazon was saying is like, we've got to, we've got to stop the shouting. And I think that's all that is. Doesn't mean anybody's bad. Doesn't mean anybody's evil. It's just the shouting was drowning everybody else out. Well, that's great insight. Thanks. A pleasure. All right. We, uh, did you guys have anything else? We're over an hour, but <laughs> yes, we are. But we do have time to to grab anything else. If there's anybody else in the audience who has questions or whatever, yeah. Uh, we haven't seen any other questions in the chat, but if somebody asks something in the next minute, maybe we'll get something. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to opine about or or ask either one of you guys? No, man. I'm. We got through all my questions, uh, and even the ones I thought of while we were going through. I, <laughs> and uh, I was out at darn near. I was out at uh, exactly an hour. So, you know, I don't hey, even have to feel guilty. <laughs> you're, you're perfect. Although I will say, talking about all the bikinis on the covers, that is one surefire way to get Daddy Warpig to retweet your stuff. <laughs> you just you put the babes on the cover, and he's there. Um, I well, I, I that's it for me. I really appreciate talking with you. It's really fascinating to 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 pick your brain and especially hear about the industry uh, and everything. Uh, and uh, thanks a lot to everybody listening live, uh, hanging out in the chat with us. It's always great to have everybody uh, in chat talking with each other, asking questions. I see uh, a few new faces, uh, Nick. I guess you've got some good fans who uh, like to see your face and and hear you chat about. I think Galaxy, Galaxy's Edge has the greatest readers in the entire world. They are the heroes. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that, But that's it for me. I, I Have a good night and afternoon, everybody. Daddy Warpig, take us away. 
Um, well, actually, I was going to ask if uh, Nick had any uh, final words before we started kicking off. Uh, final thoughts. I would just say this, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, I'm really kind of tired of the writer culture in a lot of ways. But again, I like everybody that I know. I don't. I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but I just see how writers treat everybody. And the biggest detriment that I really see is that writers value what other writers say. And I would just ask people, because I asked myself this question a year a, a year ago, how much time are you spending with readers and how much time are you spending with writers? Because writers can absorb all your time and you can they can make you feel good about being lonely and sitting in your garage writing books, or they can make you think that somehow you're actually writing, but it's actually the readers who are actually buying your books. And so before you think about going to conventions and wasting your money there, or before you think about learning a new system that someone's going to tell you how to quit your job or whatever, spend some time with some readers, interact with your readers, do meetups, do lunch, get on roll 20 and play dungeons and dragons with them. Do something that get to know these people because they're the people that actually are interested in you. They're the people that will actually root for your success. Other writers do not care about your success. In fact, they're jealous of it and they hate your guts. And, and it's just the nature of the beast. Again, they're not horrible people. It's just we're all trying to do this. And when we see someone else get ahead, we go, ah, let's just be honest about that. And let's stop having this sort of writer clubhouse, feel good culture thing. Let's stop talking to each other and let's start writing books. Because honestly, talking to other writers is not helping you right now. All right, folks. Um... Thanks to everybody who uh, showed up to watch the show live and participate in the chat. Um, thanks to everybody who will listen to this show later. Uh, you can, of course, uh, watch the show live every Saturday or just about every Saturday um, about 2 p.m. Eastern Time or 11 a.m. Pacific on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. And if you subscribe and... Um, do the double secret subscribe clicking on the bell icon. It'll tell you when we're going live. Um, and if uh, you can't listen live and you have to listen later, then by all means, you can get us on the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, or on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for GeekGab. We're available in all those places. So you can listen to the show on the device of your choice because that's how awesome awesome we are folks we do have to sign out for today sorry to break your hearts like that but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back